Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Hey there, thanks for listening to Leading Simple, where we're trying to help the overwhelmed because we've all been there and sometimes we're still there. I know I am. My name is Rusty George. I'm just trying to help you out because I'm learning as well. We got some great content for you today. This year, we've decided to make a specific focus effort on helping with mental health issues. And each month, we're bringing you somebody from that world that can give a little bit of advice or input into managing your life, dealing with mental health issues, because coming out of COVID, the stats are astronomical of those of us who are dealing with anxiety, loneliness, depression, grief, and sometimes even clinical issues. So we want to talk about that. Today, we're going to get to hear from a licensed marriage and family therapist, an incredible individual named Jim Beebe. It's going to be great. I can't wait for you to listen to it. Uh, I'd love to hear your questions. You can um, direct message me on Instagram, and I'm at Rusty L. George. Rusty L. George. Sometime I'll tell you what the L stands for. Hey, for all of you who are in leadership in churches, the challenges have never been greater. And alongside the conversations we have here, I want to point you towards a trusted partner who can elevate the vision and values of your team. Over the past few years, we have worked closely with the team at Growmentum. And if you've ever asked any of these questions, I am leading them, but who's leading me? Or how do I get more engagement and involvement from our attenders? And what things should I be measuring and evaluating in order to thrive? In light of this season, what should I be focusing on? How do I get people to take a next step? Who can I ask about the challenges and complexity of multi-site strategy? If you're there, guess what? You're not alone. And just like on this podcast, we want to really help the overwhelmed. And so all of us have been there before with our church, our organization. Healthy organizations don't stay there. Growmentum can help give you the perspective and resources needed to reach your full potential. And we've used their guidance and coaching to develop clear processes while identifying core issues that are hindering our progress. And this has allowed our team to drive greater engagement and unlock our full potential. Growmentum is an experienced team working in all sizes of organizations and churches. And Growmentum clients are equipped with practical tools to not just evaluate, but strategically build momentum. It's a partnership that brings fresh ideas to your team so you can work on it while you're still working in it. So whether it be consulting or executive coaching, I wholeheartedly recommend them. I encourage you to reach out to Growmentum today and their information is found in the show notes. Well, today... We get to have a great conversation with Jim Beebe. Jim is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He received his bachelor's from San Jose Bible College in Bible and Theology and his master's degree from Fuller Theological Seminary in Marriage and Family Counseling. He's the founder and director of Abundant Life Counseling, and he's been counseling couples for 34 years. Jim has a heart for integrating God's Word in seeking wholeness spiritually, emotionally, and relationally. Jim and his wife, Jane, have been married almost 30 years and have two grown children. And even more than that, Jim is a good friend and has been a tremendous, tremendous encouragement to me and to our staff. I think you're really going to appreciate our conversation with Jim Beebe. Well, Jim, thank you for joining us again. This is your second time on the podcast. I think after the third, you get a 
free cup of coffee or something like that. <laughs> Give them a donut. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've been on the show before, but for our new guests, will you tell us a little bit about your practice and your history just a bit? Yeah, maybe I uh, can both professionally and then the connection to real life. Um, so I'm a marriage family therapist. I've uh, been in practice for and doing this for about 30, almost 38 years now. This coming June will be 38 years. And I have an office down in uh, Northridge area. So I've been doing, my day job is really doing counseling, mostly with um, individuals and marriages, adults mostly. So I've been doing that, but my background is I was trained for the ministry. So I went to San Jose Bible College, I came to Fuller Seminary. So my undergraduate degree is in pastoral care, Bible and theology, and I have a master's in theology. And uh, because of that, um, Jane and I, my wife Jane and I also have a ministry called Mastering Your Marriage that we teach at Shepherd, and we've taught it real life five or six times now. But it's also sort of our my pastoral side of me and my teaching side of me coming out. Um, and my association with real life is I was I've been a member at Shepherd for years, and then when they started decided to start a church in Santa Clarita where I live, we were part of the initial group to come up and uh, help start this church. So, and I think it was two thousand, I believe, mm-hmm. back with Kyle. And, uh, and I actually then was on the elder board when we brought you, Rusty, on. <laughs> so I was uh, during that period of transition. And I, at that time, by, <laughs> Rusty, sorry to say, but I thought it was a tragedy. I thought, oh, my gosh, we're losing our founding pastor. And we're right in the middle of trying to figure out this building thing. Who is this Rusty George guy? You know? <laughs> you know, yeah, I, exactly. I I'm like you, Rusty. I don't like change. <laughs> and so this was change. I watched one of your sermons. They gave us some sermons from, you know, from different people. I watched one of yours that you had done back in Kentucky, I think, if I remember mm-hmm. right. And then you joined us. We, you, I was part of that initial process um, with Real Life. So we, we've known the church and loved the church for 20 years. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I remember some of those first conversations we had when I first came out. And your wife is so great because here I was talking about how I'm a Laker fan and she thought, oh, come on, you're just trying to get this job, you know, which in hindsight, I should have said, why would I want this job here in a movie theater? <laughs> uh, but uh, she said, are you really a fan? And I was able to convince her. But uh, I thought that was so funny that she yeah, was yeah, yeah. calling foul on that. <laughs> no, you were coming to Mecca, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. I was so excited. Yeah. yeah. Well, buddy, I, I appreciate all you've done, not just for you know, getting real life started, but you have served so many people from our church and from countless other churches by your practice. And uh, I'm just such a believer in what it is you do. And uh, you've helped me immensely uh, just with my own uh, self-care and mental health and those kind of things. So we're on a quest this year to try to pick up the pieces of what happened in 2020 and has even spilled into 2021 That's kind of wrecked us all. I mean, you look at the stats, they're not great. Suicide is up. Depression is up. Anxiety is up. And what's fascinating is country music downloads went up 15% in 2020. (laughs) We're a pretty depressed society, don't you think? Yeah, a lot of material. (laughs) Yeah, really. So, I mean, how are you seeing this play out? You meet with people every day for hours on end, now through Zoom, and you you hear their stories. I mean, what what are we sensing right now as as a country, as a people? Well, on the on the level that I see people, I think the first three to five months, people were doing really good. 
I thought people were happy. They were like, oh my gosh, I get to work from home. I don't have to commute. So most of the people I, were talk I was talking to were really feeling like they are doing very good. Thank you very much. And uh, fine. Then got to be about July or August of last year. And people just started getting more ragged. So it's starting to wear on them. You know, the politics were starting to heat up. The fires were here. Smoke, everything's smoky. And so people were just starting to have some of that cabin fever and getting chippy with each other and struggling. So the stuff you see, you've probably seen what I see, which is the surveys. The National Institute of Mental Health does yearly surveys for uh, nationwide, the levels of anxiety and depression. And the surveys are showing somewhere between two and three times more higher levels of anxiety and depression, you know. So that I was just starting to see that come up, that people were struggling, and especially people who are uh, single and alone. It's very, very tough, right? And, you know, throwing on top of that all the angst and the conflict going into the politics really made things very negative. Now, this, because of the vaccine, honestly, I think I'm starting to see a little bit of hope and people, a little bit of relief coming now in January. So I do think we are probably past that peak of the mental health struggles. And um, we're, it's, it's going to ride it for a while, but with the, but there's a light now for people. So I start to, I'm starting to see people breathe a little bit now through this. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and I think that we all assume that as soon as this, the clock struck midnight, you know, December 31st and then January 1st, everything would change. And then, you know, we have to deal with all of the, the capital riots and those kind of things that make us even more depressed. Yeah. Uh, there's some pretty standard answers when it comes to how to handle this. Socialize, get some sun, eat right, sleep, exercise, meds if needed. But what what is it that we can do beyond that? And And I want to specifically dive into something you've been kind of teaching for years, uh, an idea that's simply referred to as loving what is. And you've written a great PDF about this, and we're going to link to it in our show notes so everybody can see it. But can you explain to us what this is? And and yeah. you've kind of stumbled upon this a few years ago and have been kind of dripping this into your practice for a while. And I'm, I'm a, you know, a benefactor from that. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's really in a way what we're saying is it's, and it's hard sometimes when hardships come. And so this is not to discount when people have real hardship and they're crushed under the weight of medical issues or relationship issues that are bad or health issues, you know, that come, these are real things. And so and with, they come with real suffering and real struggle. Okay. So I want, want to know that there's real things that are hard to deal with in life. Okay. But that being said, in some ways, so much of our experience of life is mediated through our expectations of life and our judgments about how things should be. And we don't, we don't think about these things that much. We're not like consciously walking around, you know, with this filter of conscious expectations, but we, but, but their, their expectations are almost like the window through which we're looking at life. And we don't realize that that window is really dirty. Okay. We think we're looking out there and we're seeing things out there and we're making judgments based on that of how things should be. And we don't realize the truth is we're not really seeing stuff out there. We're seeing stuff on the window. Okay. And the mixture or the, the, the challenge of what's really out there and, and how much is really what I interpret of what's out there is really what causes a lot of distress, how I interpret things. Mm. So we, we've always known this, you know, and, and in our world, you know, we've called this cognitive therapy, right? We, we deal with our 
thought life and our our beliefs and our those both conscious and unconscious beliefs. But Rusty, what I what you've heard from me in the past is sort of me coming across realizing that in in ma- many times the church does this service, unfortunately, you know, and not not trying to, but there there's a certain amount of advocation and challenge to grow and learn and be better and aspirations for that that are can be good there's not a bad there's a good side to that but in a way it can set up a certain amount of judgment or perfectionism Hmm. and the hope then is that you work on these things so that you then can have the good life right Mm -hmm. you do x y or z or you stop doing x y or z so that you can then be blessed okay Mm -hmm. And so, and I did the same thing in my life. I'm, I'm sort of a perfectionist by nature also, you know? And so the, 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 the attempt then to change those things so that then, then I will have the good life um, is both good and bad, right? There's, there's sort of a, there's a good side to it because those aspirations drive us and they, they inspire us for effort and change. And maybe they, they can help pull us forward. There's a good side to it. It's not all bad. Mm-hmm. But there's some traps within that, okay? And there's some there's some really pitfalls that can happen in that. So, and I found that in my own life too. As much as I would try to change things about myself, I would just keep coming back to the same issues over and over again. I'm 63, and I I don't think I'm terribly different than I was at 30. You know, I like I I like to hope I'm a little bit better, but I'm not sure about that. Depending on which day you catch me. <laughs> You know, it's we we keep coming back to things in life that are difficult, and we come back to things with the people that we live with that are difficult, or things we see in the in the church that are difficult, or that we see on the news that are, is difficult, right? So the so the challenge is how do I live in this world as it is, and how do I find a way to operate and live in a world knowing that the world will always, at some level, always be different than the way I wish it was, mm-hmm. right? So that gap between the wish of what it is, even the hope for what it is versus what it is can be a lot of, in many ways is, is probably the substance of my distress and my struggle. Okay. Mm. Jim, let me stop you right there. Where do you think that comes from? Do you think that comes from our upbringing, you know, kind of what we always had and expect to have better, or is it just a result of uh, <laughs> constant you know, uh, media in our face telling us what the good life is. Is it self-imposed? Where do you think that comes from? Yeah. So part of it is just the, our humanness. So there's a sense in our humanness of the need for meaning, security, love, belonging, approval, um, significance. These are, these are just human needs. These are part mm-hmm. of who we are as people, right? And those are not bad things, but when we then start to operationalize those needs, that's when we start building unconsciously, most of this subconsciously, we build our, our sort of uh, list of expectations. We're sort of, we're sort of building now our, our matrix of how life is supposed to work for me so that I feel secure and loved and purposeful and significant and all those things to secure. Right. Yeah. So that gap, that taking my needs now and then building un, again, unconsciously. And so I think that I'm a big believer that biology drives a lot of stuff in us. So we're, and most of the studies show that there's a lot of biology involved in this. Right. 
our life experience, our personality, our temperament, you know, all those things. And you know, Rusty, it's, you know how this is because one day you can be pretty, things can happen to you and you can be pretty cool and, and not let it get to you. And the next day, the same thing happens to you and it turns you upside down. Right? <laughs> it's the same thing, right? The same trigger out there, but you respond differently because you also are interpreting it differently. Mm-hmm. You're filtering it differently, right? And we certainly see that in our spouses, don't we? <laughs> you know? like, yeah, I was going to say, well, not me, but my wife does. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, God, can we just get it? You know, can you just tell me once and for all what the plan is? And how to I know. It? And it changes, right? Oh, well, boy. That means there's something going on that is highly subjective, right? And we mm. tend to think of these things as objective, that there's an objective reality out there, but really everything that's out there is interpreted and becomes subjective inside of my own heart, soul, and mind. Okay. So here's the challenge. How do I live in this world as it is, right? How do I find, we're supposed to find, you know, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, right? In this world. And we're living in a world that Jesus said, you know, Jesus said some really radical things when you think about it. He said, listen, you're always going to have the poor among you. Okay. And he said, you know, as if it's just common sense, okay, you're always going to have poor people among you. He said, you're always going to have wars and rumors of wars, okay? Mm-hmm. It's interesting, right? Here, Jesus came to try to help bring change and bring the kingdom, you know, to the earth. And yet he's saying, no, this is the way life is. It is what it is, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Don't be shocked when these things happen, okay? And, of course, we're shocked when these things happen, right? Right, <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. Or we think it's the end times. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. Exactly, exactly. Because we're only in our experience. This must be the worst time of human experience. Right. Well, we're far from that, right? You know? Right. But but Jesus is basically saying, don't be shocked when these things happen, right? These This is life. That life is, the part of the rules of life is that there are challenges and wars and, and struggles and disappointments and hurts in the world, right? Mm. Now, what that means also, that means that in my world and in your world, you're going to have those things too, okay? Well, what does that mean? So that means when I struggle, like you and I struggle, you know, our anxiety, right? We've talked about mm-hmm. before, you know, that boy, we don't be surprised when you feel anxious, mm-hmm. okay? Don't be surprised. Even though it tells us in Philippians, be anxious for nothing, right? And we can beat ourselves up with that, right? Right. But we should not be surprised when we're anxious because we're part of this world and that's how our own internal war is going to come out (laughs) for us. Mm -hmm. Or don't be surprised when you struggle with your diet or or struggle with driving the speed limit or get mad at your neighbor. Okay. Don't be surprised when all these things happen because this is what the world is. These things happen. Okay. So he's saying in a way, beginning to try to find a way to live in this world relating to this world in a healthier way, there's there's steps. I think there's some steps. We'll go over them here, but steps that that I try to take that helps me live in the world and not be mad at the world for being what it is. And actually, if I can do this right, to actually see in the world what I need it to be because mm-hmm. within what is is what God uses to grow me, okay? It's the struggles, right? This is rejoicing your sufferings kind of talk, right? Right. You know, count it all joy, right? Kind of thing. This is very hard to do, right? Because some things are really difficult and dissident and, you know, hard hard for us to get our heart and mind around and scary and all those things, right? And we don't we don't want to 
be hurt and scared and abandoned or betrayed or disappointed or all those kind of things that happen, right? So it's very hard sometimes to hold being human and feel that because you, you cut me, I bleed, but also find a way to path towards joy in the world as it is, okay? So that's the stuff we've been talking about, you and I, for quite a while, is how, what does that look like to live in this world as it is, not live in the fantasy of what unconsciously, I, I, that, I, that I judge the world through the way I need it to be, not through the way it is, okay? Mm -hmm. Because if I want the world to be what I need it to be, by my internal judgments, I'm going to be, my need and my judgment is going to collide with reality. And, and you against reality, reality wins. You ain't going to win. <laughs> you know? it, it's undefeated, isn't it? It's undefeated. It's undefeated, right? <laughs> yep. You think you, you know, you, reality is going to be what it is, right? This is, this is the, you know, you think you can fly, well, jump off the roof and, you know, let's just find out, you know, you against gravity. Let's see what happens. And, and, and gravity isn't just a physical law. There's the laws, all sorts of laws that govern life. Okay. Right. And if you, you can try to live in denial of those laws, you eat too much and you think you can get away with it. Maybe when you're 20, you can 18 yeah. and 20, you can do it. But I'm telling you over time, you can't get away with it. Okay. Right. You're mean to friends. You're going to not have friends. You're going to speed. You're going to end up starting to pack them, you know, get some tickets, right? That's kind of stuff, right? So there's ways in which life works and laws that operate. And when we're not aligned to those or, you know, being able to find in the midst of those a way to find uh, a path, we'll, we'll just constantly be at a, almost feel at a sense of feeling victimized. And I think you see that some now in even the the world and much of the world, the, the, the dialogue that you hear with people when there's politically, especially people feel like they're victimized. They feel that there's some big, you know, uh, conspiracy out against them, that kind of stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. So and this is the world. This is what the world is. Why do you think we're drawn to conspiracies? Is it that old adage of we don't all want a God, but we all want a devil? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's the adage, right? Yeah, that we don't need a God, but we really need a devil, right? Something to fight against. So I think humans, when when things feel out of control, they're looking for reason, right? We're, we're looking to make sense of things. We're looking to try to understand things. And humans are not rational. We're not operating out of our prefrontal cortex, our executive brain. It's not Every study shows, I, I wish we were, by the way, but we do not generally operate or make choices or have attractions or be reinforced neurologically, reinforced to certain um, beliefs by our prefrontal cortex. It's much more by what we call our limbic brain, which is our deeper structures of our brain or much more emotional structures. They do some great, very fascinating studies, Rusty, where they'll put somebody in a functional MRI machine, okay? And they'll flash up images on the machine that are on, on for some people, they're, they're images that we would, we would um, associate with more conservative um, leaning people, or they'd have images that would associate with more liberal people. So the conservatives, you'd have a, an American flag or something. Liberals, you have a picture of Obama come up, right? Mm -hmm. So when they look at the brain, right? These people that are conservative, when the conservative images come up, they have this surge of dopamine and surge in their brain. Okay. Hmm. So they, they see a picture of American flag or a, a, a 
you know, a, a fighter jet flying, or they see Donald Trump, they'll, they'll have a surge of little, little, little squirt of dopamine in their brain. Okay. Dopamine is your reward neurotransmitter. It's mm-hmm. what we all are seeking. Okay. The liberal won't have as much. Now they see a picture of Obama. The liberal brain has a little more dopamine, the conservative brain, not much. In fact, mm-hmm. probably very little. Okay. <laughs> so here's what's happening. Our brains are hijacking us and rewarding, giving us reward when certain triggers come up because it fits our, our sort of biology. It, then it begins to fit our, our belief systems, okay? And, and looking for something out there, trying to find meaning. And so we make associations to so things that really don't logically make sense, but emotionally do. Mm-hmm. And then we get rewarded for it. So there's things that we can look at people that, you know, believe things we don't believe and they, they have an emotional logic to it mm-hmm. and an emotional reward to it. Okay. And it's very, very strong. It's very difficult. We see this when we used to see this in um, people that get involved in cults and then they would, they would to get people out of a cult. Let's say you had a son, you got into a cult and then you were able to kid, kidnap your son and bring him to a deep programmer, right? And they would try to deprogram them. What they're really trying to do is get their brain to respond differently because they've been so programmed that their brain itself now is not thinking, can't think logically, is rewarded mm-hmm. to think illogically. Is actually that that actually makes more emotional and physiological sense than than even though it, cognitively it doesn't, right? Mm. So it's very strong, right? And then now we get social media on top of that, mm. and that feeds this, right? So now we're fed all this stuff and there's, there's some good studies now to show that the level to the degree that you use social media is the degree of levels of anxiety and uh, discontentment and depression right. because you're right. We we're now exposed to a, a field of comparison that is huge, mm-hmm. you know, that is literally millions, if not a few billion people wide when, when we've spent most of human history relating to maybe a few hundred people. Right. Right. right? Now I got to compare myself to someone in China, you know, you know, <laughs> like I don't want to know what the Kardashians are doing. Right. right. Well, we're trying to keep up with them. Right. You know, it is fascinating when you look at the graph of the last, we'll just say 10 years, the use of social media and the rise of anxiety, it's lockstep with each other yeah. as it rises. So does our anxiety. And it's that, it's that old truth of we compare our, blooper reels with people's highlight reels because yeah. all we see is the is the good stuff and it's just yeah. not reality yeah they say when you compare your insides with their outsides yep that's right? good. and mm-hmm. so that is of course impossible then now back to our earlier talk you know that now i am building unconsciously i'm not necessarily just consciously doing this but i'm building a template of what i think the good life is what I should have, how things should be, right? I make these judgments, right, about it. And now I, now when things happen and I look at the life, I'm, I'm interpreting that life through that template of my shoulds, right? Is this, is this kind of the, uh, as you explain in the document, the traps of aspirations? Yeah, yeah. So the traps of aspirations is the, the, the good side of aspirations is back to uh, energizing us, um, inspiring us for better, helping us grow. There's a, there's a really good side to aspirations. I don't think they're bad, all bad. I think there's a really good side to that. The bad side is this. When, when I make the aspirations into expectations, 
Okay. Mm. And one hand I do it with others, right? Okay. So I start to make a judgment of others, right? Mm -hmm. Of how they should act. Okay. And I, so let's say with my, with Jane, my wife, right? You've heard this, you know, story in, in our marriage class, but you know, we have a stairs in our house and, um, I like everything in its place. I, if there's stuff upstairs that need, needs to go downstairs, I pile it on top of the stairs and I, you know, say, Hey, listen, go downstairs. Could you mind grabbing this stuff? It needs to go downstairs. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you know, it's stuff that belongs down there. So here's, here's the judgment. If you go downstairs, you should take the stuff downstairs. Okay. Mm -hmm. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Perfect sense to me. Okay. And Jane's great. And Jane will do it twice. And then Jane will forget to do it. And she will go downstairs empty handed. Mm. Now this is a this is a capital offense. Okay, this is, this is horrible, right? <laughs> I'm with you. you know, come on, right? Mm -hmm. Because inside of me, and on my emotional level, it says this: you should do it, right? And and what I'm not being able to do if I don't take time to look at it, I say, why do I believe that? Why do I believe Jane should take the stuff downstairs when she goes downstairs? Okay, what is that associated with? Back to when you said, where do these come from? Well, my sense of order and security and feeling at peace. Much of that is is helped by things being in order. When things are out of order, I feel a little anxious and uncomfortable, right? Now, I know a lot of people who, when things are too in order, they feel more anxious. Mm. They feel uptight, right? <laughs> so they come into my office and every book is lined up perfectly and mm -hmm. you know everything is in its place and they feel a little like, oh God, I can't even relax here, right? Yeah. But for me, my should, it says, you should take the stuff downstairs, right? Now, Jane loves me. Jane, Jane likes to take care of our house too, but Jane's not quite as uptight as me, right? Mm -hmm. So when Jane takes this, it doesn't mean that to her at all. It just means oh, I'll get to it later. I'm thinking of something else. Okay, it doesn't mean that she doesn't care about me or our house at all, right? But when I make that leap that Jane should do it, so I now have this aspiration and that this sense of judgment or expectation on her, I'm doing a couple things. I'm saying this, Jane should do it because Jane can do it, right? I'm making a judgment that she's, she's now making a choice not to take the stuff downstairs. Mm. And so this, this, it, your aspirations are assuming that I can do what I aspire to do, right? Just, it just basically is enough intention, support, uh, willpower to do these things. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and therefore, the failure to do what I aspire to do is a failure of my will and of my effort, right? Or a, a failure. So the, the judgments in that aspiration of others or myself is that my failure to do that is a failure of something of my own character, mm. right? Okay? That I, that I should have done is something different, okay? And, and religion can feed this because religion is full of sort of ethical guidelines and ethical yes. directives, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what religion is about. Religion codifies so many of these sort of uh, judgments that we make, you know, and that's not bad. There's a good stuff to that. That's part of how we guide culture and society and how we think the good life is, right? Mm -hmm. Now, here's the trap. Where, where does that line between should and can intersect? Mm. Okay. okay. So if you said to your wife, Lori, you know, Lori, I'm a little tired of you being, you know, you know, five foot something. I think it'd be really good if you were six feet tall. You know, I think you really <laughs> could get six feet tall. I mean, I really, that, that'd really be, I think that looked better in our photos. Can you get to be, can you grow to be six feet, right? You now, if you, you know, think this is silly, of course, Jim, I'm not going to expect her to 
be six feet tall, you know, that's ridiculous. You know, I'm not gonna expect her to change her eye color or something like that, right? Because you don't, you know, you think really, she doesn't have the capacity to do that. So it's not a sign of her not loving me because she doesn't grow to six feet or change her eye color. That's nothing about me at all. It's just who she is, right? Mm -hmm. Because you already know that she can't do that, Mm -hmm. okay? But we will make all sorts of judgments towards others and ourselves, Rusty. It's not just towards others. We do it towards ourselves of judgment and shame and guilt because we are expecting ourselves to do things that we think we should do, Mm -hmm. okay? Now, this runs right up against in Romans, right? You know this when Paul said, I, I do that which I should not do, and what I should do, I do not. Remember mm-hmm. that, right? So Paul is saying, man, I struggle with these things over and over again. Now, we don't know what he specifically was referring to there, but boy, we can fill in our blank of all the things that we struggle with doing or not doing. But he's basically saying this. He's saying there's things that, op- that operate. He says, oh, sinful man that I am, it's the sin at work in me, he says there. But he's basically saying there's things in me that are beyond my ability or will to control. There's things I do that I feel bad about and I keep stumbling, right? So he's basically saying there is a lot of things in us that are are a lot less in our can category and are more in the cannot category, (laughs) okay? That That are part of our character defects. Paul talked about a thorn in the flesh and struggles, right? that there's character defects, there's struggles that we have, right? Mm. So when I look at my world and when I start to say, wow, let's say for me, I should feel anxious. I should. How do I know this? Because I feel anxious, okay? Or someone else may say, I should struggle with my diet, okay? How do I know? Because I struggle with my diet. Mm -hmm. Or for me, I should really, if I don't use my cruise control, I am going to really struggle driving the speed limit, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Not even thinking about it. I'll look down. Oh, my God, I'm going 75 miles an hour. Uh-huh. I'm not even thinking about it, right? <laughs> if they're not going to win, Rusty, I'm going to win this race. That's here. right. Of course you are. <laughs> hey, we'll be back to the podcast in just a second. But I wanted to let you know that I get a chance to go out and speak on this book that I've written called After Amen once in a while. And we've got a few churches coming up. I'd love to see you. If you're a listener to the show and you happen to make it to one of these churches, I'd love to say hi. I'm going to be at Joplin, Missouri, Indianapolis, Indiana, Kansas City, Missouri. You can direct message me on Instagram at Rusty L. George and find out the exact church and date and directions to get there. Would love to see you then. Now, back to the show. (laughs) So, So think about it. I am now making this judgment that I really should do what I should do and shouldn't do what I shouldn't do. I'm saying that to myself and I'm saying it to Jane. Okay. Because I think I can, I'm saying the exact opposite of what Paul said. Mm. Right. I'm actually making this judgment. Right. Now this is really hard because people, it sort of makes people think like you're given this easy out, this excuse, Mm. you know, it's like libertarian, Right. right. You know, don't we have to sort of keep our, you know, feet to the pedal here and make sure we're working on things and, you know, we're not excusing things, right? Mm-hmm. This is like the, you know, I blame my parents for my drinking or something, right? You know, so I can, I have an excuse to do all the crappy stuff that I do. And really, we, we're fearful of it because we're fearful that if we really find a way to not be in judgment, that we'll then just go crazy, stupid, 
okay? Mm-hmm. That we need to be in judgment as a way to change. We need to be under shame as a way to change. And that's the sad part, Rusty, because it, it really doesn't work that way, okay? So the way, I, the paradigm that I've used and you've, you and I have talked about is, you know, first I've got to expect what is. I've got to expect, like in my case, I, I should not expect Jane every time to take stuff downstairs, okay? I should not expect that. I should expect Jane to be Jane, right? And when Jane is Jane, that means sometimes she will, sometimes she won't, right? Mm. And you know, this is really, you know, you like, this is good because you really want, like in your case, you really want Lori to do this with you, right? You really want her to only need you to be who you are. Right. That's, that's heaven, man. (laughs) But that ability for us first to say, to expect the world to be the world. When Jesus said, don't be surprised when there's, you hear about wars and rumors of wars. That's the world. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when people believe conspiracy theories. Don't be surprised when politicians are being political, you know, and expedient when they do that. Okay. Don't be surprised. That's life. Okay. Now that's really hard because we often don't want our life to be the way it is. You know, we want it to be different. So I, I, I get how I got to wrestle with this too. Okay. But that's the beginning. Okay. The second step that I say is, you know, after I, work at expecting the world to be the world, that's not enough because I can, I can build that expectation, but be resentful of it or, re, or cynical of it, or just in despair about it. Right. Okay. That's the world that the way it is. And oh gosh, I guess we're just all, you know, hopeless. Okay. You know, we can, we can, we can expect the world to be the world, but because we're just depressed about it and cynical about it. Okay. So I, so I don't think that's a place to park. The second step is really this very, very hard step of learning to and daily practice of accepting the world as it is, yeah. including my world as it is. And this is a really, to me, this is a daily practice of acceptance. Hmm. Acceptance is beginning to see things in the world that are is more complex than my judgments. That is, that is deeper than I think there's where we, we do things for deeper reasons than we would like to believe. Okay. We, we, we are ourselves, our spouse, our kids have, they're going to have their struggles and their issues. And I'm, and I'm making a choice to, to begin to accept and relinquish and let go of my need for it to be anything different than it is. Mm. Okay. Now this is really hard because some of those ways they are, are scary, right? There's things about our kids that scare us, things about ourselves that distress us, you know, and frustrate us. That's so it's very hard to accept those struggles, right? But I think there's a truism here that is very hard to rest in, but that really all change is not, will not happen until there's first acceptance, Hmm. real change. Okay. So in my article you read, I talked about these two different sort of orders of change, first order versus second order change. Right. Mm -hmm. So what that means is this. When, when, when systems, organizational psychologists talk about this, they say first order change is symptom change, okay? It's, it's changing something about the behavior or feelings or, you know, the expre- outward expression of something, right? So let's say first order change would be, um, could be, uh, I, th- I think anxiety is really a problem. And so first order change is I stop being anxious, Okay. So I, I don't have, I, I have more peace. I have not much anxiety. First order changes, Jane takes stuff downstairs. First order changes, my kids, when I, when I call my kids, they actually call me back. 
Okay. <laughs> Which is not that often. <laughs> and first order changes, I, I affect, I get the behavior or the feeling, the change on the surface that I want. Okay. okay. That's first order change. And very, very often we focus on that. This is what the Pharisees focused on. Okay. Mm. They focused on first order change. They focused on all their, they're very exacting of all these different rules and laws and ways to be so that they could now prescribe exactly how all the things you needed to do to be in the box, right? Mm-hmm. You're all first order change. So, and we know, it says in Romans, that the law was given to basically teach us that we couldn't do the law, right? Mm-hmm. Basically, the law was here to be a tutor to tell us that we need grace. We, we're not going to be able to do it all. You, you, you won't be able to accomplish it all, right? So for, focusing on first order change, I get it, We all have that because that's the most apparent thing in front of us, okay? is very easy to get focused on. But this is why we continue to go, because much of first order change is irresolvable issues, okay? Much of the things that we wrestle with are things that we're not going to change, okay? I hate to say it, and it can feel like sad news for a lot of people, but many, many of the things we deal with, we're gonna deal with the rest of our lives. There are thorns in the flesh. There, There are ongoing forever journey. So um, some of the research has showed that in, within marriages, when they look at the issues that couples have ongoing disagreement about, and they analyze these issues, the issues are 69% of those issues are irresolvable issues. Never going to change them. Never going <laughs> to solve them. Okay, They're not going to fix them by fixing them. You've told me that stat now for as long as I've known you, and I still am stunned by it. Yeah. Yeah. 69%. Over yeah. Two thirds. So let's think of this, Rusty. I think that means, I don't think it's a big step to say, well, that means probably two thirds of the relationship with other people that I have are also irresolvable issues. Mm-hmm. Their biology, their temperament, their gender, their, their enduring vulnerabilities. This is who people are, right? This is what life is and who you are. It also means two thirds, over two thirds of the things that I struggle with in my own self are irresolvable issues. Mm. That's the big leap, right? That means two th- the things you struggle with, Rusty, two-thirds of those things you're going to struggle with till you die. Okay? You're going to be on the rocking chair, and you're going to be, you're going to be worried about your grandkids. That's what you're going to be doing. Uh-huh. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Worried about them taking stuff down the stairs. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so here's what it says. What do we do with that? If our hope is not that we change in that first-order change, right, we, we, that we, we're not going to get peace by getting everything in order, we're gonna you know, solve our problem, get our kids to act just right, me stop being anxious or me stop drinking, smoking, whatever those things are, you know, drive the speed limit, whatever those things are, that, that those things, some of those things will always be a struggle, okay? And, and Paul says, you know, in, in Corinthians, I pray God would remove the thorn and he didn't. And Paul said, all the more will I rejoice in my weaknesses, mm. okay? Now, wow, that's that's tough. How do we do that, right? Mm-hmm. So, what do we do with that? You know, what what do we? How do we take that and transform that? Not that, not just be a formula for despair, right? And for you know, because wow, what do I do with this? So then we're really looking at second order change. Second order change is is the deeper the deeper need, okay? In inside, Jesus was talking not about behavior so much as about heart. There's a deeper change of our heart. Okay. Even if the behavior never changes, even if it never changed, 
that there's something that gets transformed at the heart level of grace and love and acceptance and communion, connectedness, that is way, in Jesus's formula, way more important than first order change. Way more important. Way, way more important than me not drinking or being an alcoholic is me experiencing God's grace and love from me being an alcoholic. Way more important than me not driving, you know, uh, getting speeding tickets or or even being nice to my neighbor or not yelling at my kids is me experiencing God's love and grace at my heart for my struggle with doing all those things. Okay. Yeah. Now that is very hard because that scares us, right? It's like, oh my gosh, you're giving permission to this. You know, this is, sounds like a really easy out, right? You know, this is what, you know, Paul talked about cheap grace, you know, should we, should we send all the more that grace may abound? Right. Because mm-hmm. instinctively, and I feel it too, because I'm a legalist by nature mm-hmm. and a perfectionist. I feel in my heart that this is really hard to get my heart wrapped around, but it's not, I think it's very easy to see it in the new Testament that, Jesus is talking about grace, right? It's first, look at Ephesians, first three chapters of Ephesians, all about grace, right? Not by works that you were saved, right? And then the last three chapters say, now clean up your act, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Basically, you know, right. so it gives you a laundry list of things to try to work on, right? <laughs> it's always this sense of acceptance first, accepting life, including your life as it is, right? Mm-hmm. And accepting that in that life, you will always have things you're going to struggle with and deal with. Right. And then let's say uh, politics, the struggle in politics and the things that are going on. Come on, look back to our founding fathers. Jefferson and Adams hated each other. You know, they were they were they were in fighting from the very beginning and struggling with all this stuff. It shouldn't surprise us. All this stuff goes on. Right. Right. This is our world. Okay. So my, that movement of acceptance is profoundly spiritual because it's really letting go of my illusion of self-control or illusion of control of others, honestly. Okay. Mm. But, and it's profoundly mature because I'm releasing now others to be who they are. I'm trying to, I'm trying, now my job is to accept Jane for Jane, to accept my kids for who they are. And even hopefully to find grace and acceptance for who I am. Okay. Now, I, I don't think this is the end of the story. I think beyond that acceptance comes a third step, which is embracing life as it is. Or we've talked before about loving what is, but Mm -hmm. embracing, I use the term embracing now because I like that more active stance, is I embrace what is as what I need it to be for me to get what I need. Okay. Mm. Okay. So really, it's a way to say my life as it is, is exactly what I need for me to get what I need. Okay. Now that's really a hard sell to do for sometimes, right? When we're in, we're in hard, difficult situations, that can be very hard, right? You're living with an alcoholic spouse or you've got cancer or you've got a child who's wayward or something. This is very hard to sell this and, and find joy in this. But I think it's the way to go. Mm-hmm. This, this really now is begins the process of being able to transcend what is, right? Mm. accepting what is allows me now to have a position above what is and find meaning in what is, whatever, what is, whatever mm. it is. Okay. Uh, and I, boy, I tell you, this is a muscle I want to practice rusty. Cause I, I know tomorrow there's going to be a bigger, what is that I got to deal with. Right. Right. I, I know there's things coming down the pike that are going to be, I'm going to have to have, I'm going to better have this muscle of grace and acceptance 
um, to deal with the next thing that's coming down, you know, with a tragedy mm-hmm. or, struggle or whatever. That's just life, right? So this, uh, this movement with embracing what is, I start now to see in with what is, is my, what I call my life task, okay, my journey, the things that I know and based on who I am that I continue to work on. Okay. Mm-hmm. Each person, those will be different things for different people. For me, it's acceptance. It's, it's letting go of, of fear. You know, it's being able to, to find, a, um, letting go even of ego and, and my, you know, my pettiness at times and my self-interest at times because of my insecurities, you know, and being gr- generous and gracious. Those are things I'm going to, I'm going to revisit over and over again, because those are part of my 69% irresolvable issues, mm. right? And I get to, uh, lucky me, I get to revisit these very frequently, you know, as I come up against the next challenge. Right, right. So embracing what is really becomes now a very vibrant, and and I think, you know, as the more you can do this, become extremely rich with things from that I can focus on and work on, that I can grow in. Okay, that I then and then I, and I'm man. This is hard to do. Sometimes that's this is where man. And many times in counseling, that's what we're trying to discern. What in within what is is what's my task? What are things for me to learn? How do I try to be healthy in this? What is how is what is it that I'm being refined over through this difficult situation? You know, how do I make healthy choices in this situation? All those things. You know, those are those can be very hard, but that giving meaning gives you transcendence. It helps you find then ability to not just be defined by what is, but to define what is and to use what is as a way to grow. Yeah. Mm. That, that is such a radical change than most of us uh, settle for because most of us just want to deal with first order change. Right. Fix this. Right. I'll fix right. this. New Year's right. resolution. Uh, right. I'll get right. at it on Monday, whatever it is. Right. And it's not that deep down. Uh, internal change, which just reminds me of, you know, I, I heard that Dallas Willard say one time that um, Christians don't use a little bit of grace. They go through grace like rocket fuel because it's a constant daily yeah. living in the grace of God, not just a one-time act when we came to yeah. Christ. Yeah. And that's what I hear you saying is that it's just this understanding that I am a flawed individual. I am prone to make mistakes. But in the in the in the living that out, I'm going to find joy and peace, and yeah. self control and faithfulness and the fruit of the spirit that way. Right. So this can it, be an overwhelming thing for all of us. It's a paradox, right? Yeah. The paradox is nothing changes until you first accept it. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't change anything until you accept it, and you and it's acceptance is not a strategy as a way to change it, right? It's got to be true acceptance. If you never stop struggling with your anxiety, can you be okay with that? Can that be okay? You don't have to be different than you. This is what Jesus is saying, right? Come as you are, right? You know, it's, it's part of, you know, the name real life church, you know, mm-hmm. was to be real, right? Right. Is to, if, if, if let's say you had an alcoholic, could that person the rest of their life still struggle with alcohol and still find grace and love in the, in the midst of their struggle, mm-hmm. right? Okay, that's what we're saying. Now, the miracle of it is that real, that second order change, the heart change, the, the change of, of, of freeing us from shame and judgment, not only is that transformative just for the heart, 
but it actually is more effective in changing second order change too. Okay. The truth is the more I accept my anxiety, the less I'm anxious because I'm now I'm not anxious about my anxiety. Right. So that mm. is actually a, you get a two for one on this thing. Okay? Right. <laughs> let, let me play devil's advocate for just a second here. Yeah. yeah. I'm a parent. All right. Yeah. And I'm looking at my kids and let's say I got one that they're just late to everything. And I know yeah. this is not going to be a great life thing for them. It will make life difficult in the future. If you're always late and you don't value people's time and those kind of things, how yeah. do I accept them for what is, but yet also correct them for what should be? Yeah. So, right. You may say, and probably you have one kid who's more punctual and the other kid who's late all the time, right? Absolutely. We have, we have these, you know, we have these <laughs> ring and bang of kids, right? Right. <laughs> well, here's the deal. You say, okay, you know, little Sally, oh my gosh, this kid is, you know, late and she's, you know, doesn't know how to organize herself and get out on time. I think she really wants to be late, you know, this stuff, right? There's a difference between saying, you know, she's doing this because she's, she can just be like little, you know, Johnny, you know, Sally should be like Johnny, Johnny's on time. And, and therefore I'm really mad at Sally for being who she is. I'm frustrated with her. I'm angry at her. I'm going to use all sorts of tactics to try to get her to not be who she is. Okay. And I'm telling you, you may get conformity, but you long-term, you're going to lose that game. It won't work. Okay. And because I'm, I know it, I'm, some people are, aren't on time. You know, some people don't have a clock in their head, you know, like other people do. Now you can say when you're training a kid, you could say, well, listen, Sally's really, she's really bad about this. So we're going to, we got that knowing this, this is always going to be a challenge for her, right? She's going to be late to her own wedding, this kind of kid, right? Okay. So how now do we help her with the fact that this isn't, she is not good at this. Okay. If Sally wasn't good as Johnny with, you know, doing math, let's say, you know, you probably wouldn't just be mad at Sally. You try to get help to help Sally be decent or be able to be functional with math, let's say. Okay. So you're now you're accepting, no, this is her. This isn't, she's not person, you know, just necessarily doing it to bug us, even though I'm, that's not, I believe, you know, especially in adolescence, kids can get sort of passive aggressive with some of this stuff, but this is much less about her. It, it, you, it, when you accept what it is, it helps you not personalize other people's behavior, including your kids. Then you're thinking, you, you're establishing, so now you're not in judgment or, you know, shaming her for being who she is. You're now trying to work within who she is with whatever tactics you can. And good luck with it because you'll probably try different things. You know, you got three different alarm clocks to, you know, you know, that are, that she has to get out of bed to turn off before, you know, so she gets up in time. You make sure that, you know, you get up earlier, you know, you're doing all these tactical things basically, right? So you can be very tactical. You can be even continued instructor and try to help her and try to help her mature and grow all the while knowing it's still going to be her struggle. Mm. It's not personal. It's just still going to be her struggle because of who she is. Mm -hmm. And the kid that you have who is all punctual and everything has something else that they're not good at. Right. They'll have something else. Right. So I start to see this less as just necessarily some choice. Now, Kids, people will make choices. There are things I make choice about. I'm not saying we don't make choices. We do. And, and we, we want to confront and look at those and understand those and try to grow in those. So I'm making healthier choices. Okay. I want to do all that I can do. Okay. But I'm really starting to, I'm starting to see it less in a, and less of a judgmental or personal way. Mm -hmm. Okay. As I relate mm -hmm. to them. Okay. Right. 
that changes my tone of what I do with it. Now you may, like a lot of us parents, you are like going back to the toolbox, trying to figure out what the next thing you're going to try, right? right? Of what it is. But, but here's the deal. Let's say your daughter's really always late. She's, you know, not good at that. What if she never, ever changes? Hmm. What if she's always late? That's just who she is. Okay. You guys are, you're going to start Christmas without her, you know, when, <laughs> when she's adult, you know, that's, can you just love her and can we'll still take care of ourselves? Oh, well, she's going to miss out sometimes, but can we be okay with that? Because it's not our job to change her. It's God's job Yeah. And between her and God. That may be a li- lifelong process. Oh, well, you know, we can still, can we go, can we move forward and be okay? Right yeah. now, Rusty, that's honestly, easier with her being late but what if you have a daughter who's drinking too much mm-hmm. your daughter who's with some guy who you know scares the bejeebies out of you right mm-hmm. i would say even there if you don't first find acceptance you will be in either control or frustration or anger right if you you i want you to be tactical all of us i want you to be wise in how you deal with life but if you don't first find acceptance, everything will become a either power struggle or a chronic frustration. Okay, mm-hmm. this is what Al-Anon teaches. You know, so there's some things out there that are really painful and destructive, and you may have to take tactical steps. Your daughter's drinking and driving. You may call the police to arrest her. You know, right. you may do that, right? Because she's going to drink and drive. She's an alcoholic. She's going to drink and drive. And oh my gosh, it scares me. We're calling the police. That's painful as that is. Exactly. Okay? Because we we that may help her, right? So we're we're still doing things, but we're still doing it out of accepting that she's an alcoholic, mm. right? Not out of judgment that she's you know she should not do that. Well, no, she should. She's if she's an alcoholic, she should drink and drive. Alcoholics drink and drive. Mm-hmm. She should do that, right? So you can see how hard it is to keep coming back to acceptance, that practice of acceptance, as the foundation from which then I do the tactical efforts. You know, my and, and I do my as- the good side of aspirations and intention and work and I do all that. That's OK. Right. That's all great. Yeah. OK. So, Jim, this is such good stuff and it'll take a lifetime for us to put it into practice. But uh, here we are post covid and, you know, some of us are still trying to pick up the pieces of the anxiety, maybe some of the, uh, you know, depression that's still lingering, maybe some new addictions we've picked up in the off season here. Um, give us, uh, one to two things, two to three things to do right now to help us love what is so that this, uh, can be a little bit, uh, uh, attainable for us. Okay. Yeah. We all know you, you mentioned the things early on about self-care. So I'm going to give you some, just some different things. I'm going to say, number one, keep a gratitude list. Okay. Every day, try to write down two to three things you're grateful for. Mm Mm-hmm. Secondly, every day, write a thank you note to somebody hmm. every day. Okay. Find someone and write a thing. Tell them something you're grateful to them about. Okay. Hmm. Now, Rusty, this does a couple of things. When I write a thank you note to somebody and I say, you know, tell them something I'm grateful about. Number one, it makes me feel better. Mm-hmm. When your heart is, has gratitude in it, it's really much harder to be full of fear and, you know, resentment. Okay. Secondly, if I write a thank you note to somebody, they inevitably write a thank you note back, right? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for the thank you. (laughs) It was sort of a virtuous cycle here, right? Right. Okay. So number one, 
start with gratitude, do some practices, they call it attitude of gratitude, but you know, some things of gratitude. Second thing I'd suggest, make it an effort to notice something new every day. All you got to do, just take a, take a moment, take 30 seconds and stop yourself. Look around. You may look at some leaves on a tree. You may see the clouds. You may watch your kids play. Okay. Just, just take a moment to notice something that you would have normally passed by. Okay. That just sort of grounds you for a moment. You'd be amazing how powerful that is just to be in your moment. Most of life, we just rush by. Mm. We're, we're mindless, right? Mm-hmm. It's all zoom, zoom, zoom. Okay. Third. Do something that you normally, you know, a lot of things we do in routine, do something in a different way. Okay. We're, we're all like groundhog day right here mm-hmm. right now. Okay. Just go, if you're driving to, uh, if you drive to work, you know, drive a different way. Okay. If you, um, you know, always eat in front of the TV, actually eat, at, you know, at the dining room table. Okay. Um, try something different. Okay. Just give some variety that that doing doing that makes you more mindful makes you more grounded in your present mm. okay so those are those are all those are three things four things maybe mm. to just help in your moment yeah so as, good. as we just so we'll limp our way to the vaccine basically yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> that's yeah. so good well jim on behalf of everybody who's uh, benefited from your wisdom and counsel thank you and thank you for your time with us today this gives us a lot to chew on Uh, I'll link the uh, PDF in the show notes and information on how to contact Jim if you're looking for uh, some some counseling, a little bit of uh, therapy, which I highly recommend. Uh, He's been so great in my life and countless others. So, Jim, thank you once again for your time with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Rusty. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope you got as much out of that as I did. I just love talking with Jim. Uh, And please subscribe to this because you'll get it delivered immediately to your inbox, which is a great way for you to keep up with the podcast. And make sure you share it with a friend. I know there's many people out there that are wrestling with some of the issues that Jim talked about today. So make sure you share it with somebody. That would just mean the world to me. I'd love to hear from you. You can DM me on Instagram at Rusty L. George. We will see you next week. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you'll get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple.